We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to Sorted Cinema. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined by Mr. Ricky D. This week, we are once again going to cross the streams and head over to serialized storytelling realm. In this case, we're going to talk about uh, a show that the media, the media Roddy love. But uh, I think people, people out there beyond Twitter are, are, are taking their time to get to. And that's uh, a little series called Succession, for which we will be joined by Mr. Randy Dankovich. Uh, to discuss uh, the series as a whole, but especially its latest season, uh, season three, which just finished airing this past weekend. Let's hear a clip. You are Kendall Roy. You are fucking Kendall Roy. Is it true? He's on his way? I don't see him yet with his stupid walk. No drama. We're good. I'm going to fucking kill him. The revolution will be televised. He's our dad, but he was going to send me to jail. He'd do the same to all of us. Chevy, you okay? Are you part of this family or not? If I back you against death, you would need to let me take over. Whoa, Nelly. Everyone's going to battle in armor, and I'm sitting here exposed. Logan is going to fire a million poisonous spiders down your dicky. That, that sounds like kind of dramatic, Tom. Ask yourself, do you want to be on the side of good or evil? You tell him. I'm going to grind these fucking bones to make my bread. He says he's going to grind your bones to make his bread. Okay, tell him that I'm going to run up off the fucking beanstalk. Welcome to Sorted Cinema. My name is Simon Howell. Ricky, how you doing? What's up, Simon? I am fantastic because we just saw what I think is the best episode of any TV show of 2021. And I thought about that long and hard before I wanted to actually make that statement. And I really do think it was the best season of any episode of 2021 on the best show on. Can we say television? Does anyone watch TV on an actual TV anymore? Well, before we get to the finale in that season, uh, I want to zoom way out. Just in case anyone at home is listening to this and I don't know, maybe you've heard people talking about the show. Maybe you've heard some hype. Maybe you're resistant to the show for whatever reason. Uh, I wanted us to maybe take a second to give our respective pitch to the audience on why they should even care about the show in the first place before we get into the nitty gritty. Uh, Ricky, I mean, you already you've been talking about Succession as the best show around. Uh, Why do you think that is? I always like to compare it to Game of Thrones 
only because I'm trying to really sell the show to my friends who most of them were big fans of Game of Thrones when that was like the hottest show on TV, right? You know, put aside mm-hmm. the last like two seasons. And it's funny because I was talking to Mike Werby, the managing editor over at Goombastomp.com. He's been on our podcast several times. Everybody knows him. And he was like a huge fan of Game of Thrones. And he's got really, really good taste in movies and TV shows and, you know, pop culture in general. And he has no interest in watching Succession. And he's like, you know, I don't have any interest in watching a show about really rich people doing bad things. Like shows like Billions just don't interest me. And I was like, okay, I've never seen Billions but I think that's like a really bad comparison. But I understand why people think that way, because I used to think that way. Like, I did not want to watch the show because it just didn't look like it was for me. It has really odd marketing, if very little marketing, too. And the, the cast is not really well known. And, you know, but like, I would say that it's funny Mike said that because it's kind of like what Game of Thrones is a lot of like really wealthy, rich people doing terrible things to get total control i mean that's what succession is in our real world and i think it's the best written show on television i think it has by far one of the best full-on ensembles like the whole entire cast is incredible i think it's incredibly well directed although most episodes they keep it very simple but on For example, the season finale, season three, specifically the season three finale, you get these shots that look like they came out of a a classic like Italian, you know, movie from uh, Fellini or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's beautifully shot at times. But the the Italian setting helps with that. (laughs) The Italian setting sure does help. I mean, you talk about the Red Wedding when we think of Game of Thrones being one of the big events and sent shockwaves around the world. I think that the wedding episode that we had in season nine of succession is actually far better than the red wedding because they did a lot more with just words as opposed to having blood splatter. Like everyone's going to react and be in shock when they see a bunch of people die and there's blood splattered everywhere at a wedding. But what they did on succession, I think takes real brains. Like I can't like, we're going to talk about this, but there are, moments when i can't help but think that nobody on this planet can actually write the show but the actual showrunner like the way the characters think and what they do and their like how they react to specific specific situations i would never ever think to write a show where the characters do what they do sometimes like it's just like you know like again season finale season three finale the stuff that happens in that in that episode it's just unlike anything i've seen in any TV show, Randy, your thoughts, your overall, your overall spoiler-free pitch uh, to to your, your especially I, I would add especially to the skeptical because I that's I, I was going to say this, the same thing as Ricky, which is that I love the show and it's also very difficult to get people uh, started on it in my experience. Yeah, I think unfortunately, I think comparing it to Game of Thrones is ultimately rather reductive in that it I think it simplifies it tries to simplify what succession does for an audience we'll talk about the season finale but i i, I put in the the red wedding comparison puts a particular thorn in my side i think my overall pitch for the series would be i think the two series that i that i really think about the most when i watch succession the first is probably one that this is not one that would sell this television generation on i think about dallas a lot when i think about kind of the 
soap opera with the kind of emphasis on the operatic that Dallas brought to network television in the 80s. And I think Succession does really well here, especially, you know, having an orchestral soundtrack uh, helps with those um, dramatic swings a lot. And uh, the other show that I think about a lot when I watch Succession is The O.C. because it's a show Mm. about a bunch of people trying to deal with it's about two generations of people trying to deal with all of them trying to deal with their teenage traumas, but dealing with them through each other and doing it in the most poor, selfish ways possible. And I think what the OC did and what Succession does, and they do it in different ways, but I think it's the similar ends, is to endear us to terrible people in different ways and have us invest in their lives, even if they are characters who live lives that are out of touch uh, from realities that we live in. And I think as a reflection of that, Succession does a really great job. And I think that's where it's kind of the right show at the right time amazing the comparison to oc is fantastic and we should also um mention that this is a show about an actual family and i think that really matters because it is this family drama it's also the most quotable show per week like every week i just want to quote the show but anyway simon why should people watch the show the the i mean the comparison i would make i don't think it would be to any american series to be honest i think the I mean, the the closest American comparison, of course, is Veep, just because there's some of the same personnel involved. But in terms of the the sense of the the pitch black humor, and um, and the focus on the, the sort of hyper focus on characterization makes me makes me say, you know, if you ever, you know, in in the mid two thousands, early twenty tens, got really into uh, British hour longs or or, or even uh, British comedies like Peep Show. Um, which of course this uh, shares a co-creator with. Uh, to me, this this show has is much more British than it is American in sensibility. Um, even its take on um, its take on sort of the the New York um, ultra rich has this feeling of sort of outsiders looking into me, and I think it helps. They kind of channel that to help uh, to help dramatize just how alien these people's lives are and how removed they are from regular people. I mean, there's a, there's a recurring, there's a recurring bit of dialogue that I love where they talk, where the, they, they use the term real person or not a real person. Um, and I, I think what makes the show so, so resonant for right now, people complain about, or they, oh, they don't want to watch a show about these 0.01 percenters essentially, you know, the Murdoch family, um, you know, and their exploits. But I, I think what the show does so well is it's I love the way that it has these not real people sort of on the periphery of the frame and in scenes constantly. Uh, and I, I love the way uh, you have these characters who who because they're in media, which is something that we should talk about because they're in mass media, they control discourse and they can they have so much control over the fate of global politics and of, and of the global old bigots discourse. bigot the old bigots bigot and it's something they talk about every other episode but those regular not a real people never physically show up and i think that the that jesse armstrong and co do a really really good job of always just reminding you regularly as you enjoy um watching these people rise and fall and have these 
bitty neurotic uh, battles that the the trickle down effects of all the of all these things are real in the world of the show and they really have um, the, the, these these decisions affect not only the shareholders of Waystar, but like the the everyday citizens of Successions America. And I think that's this is something the show does really well without this, and this is the key part, without ever feeling like it's beating you over the fucking head. And I th- I think that that's it's so tricky to maintain that balance. And I think that's t- to me the characterization and the tonal balance; uh, those are the things that make it special, really. Yeah, it's never preachy, and you're right because every every so often a name will spring up like Facebook or the president of the United States, but it's just mentioned in the background. You know what I mean? It's like they create their own world within our world. And I love the way it, it's just, it, it doesn't feel one-sided because for example, the main family, or at least the, the, the actual dad, Logan Roy played by the great Brian Cox. There's another reason to watch a show. People like Brian Cox mm-hmm. stars in the show. He's like, from my understanding, like a Republican. He would be the sort of man that that financially helps someone like Donald Trump get into office. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. The show yeah. never, the show never feels preachy or taking any side, which I really like. And just before we move away from the comparisons, we should mention that Jesse Armstrong is a showrunner, and he is a man who's responsible for things like In the Loop, Four Lions, which was an amazing movie, um, Fresh Meat. And, you know, a bunch of other great like shows like in the UK. And um, also, I just want to bring up the Muppets because a lot of times a lot of these characters feel like Muppets. <laughs> like, mm. I can't help but think like, did you ever think about what it would be like if Jim Henson made actual Muppets for each of these characters? Like imagine Roman played by I, the great Kieran Culkin. I would absolutely watch like a succession babies type show like Fraggle Rock, but with the succession characters. <laughs> I think that'd be super cute. I, I would go for super that cute. over the felt because then I, I think of the community felt like puppet episode. And I, I mean, sad. Greg already looks like a Muppet for sure. Yeah, I know exactly. Greg looks like a Muppet. They're very animated and they're very, I don't know. There's something about their performances from each of these characters. They're so unique and sometimes it feels repetitive, like their facial expressions or little ticks their mm. their body movements like if you were like i i can't imagine actually binge watching the season like because okay so quick story i uh took a while to start watching succession i watched it i started watching the show when season one ended and i watched like the first four episodes and i wasn't really sold on the show like i was you know, I could tell that the acting was great and there was some really clever writing, but I just didn't think it was for me and I had to stick with it. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you've never watched Succession, I just recommend you stick to the end of season one, specifically when you get to episode six, episode seven. That's when it really hooks you because something big happens. And it's sort of like so it does the thing that every modern TV show does. So I think I actually want to go back to one thing that you said about the show's repetition, because I actually think that's one of the things that makes this show work so well, that it understands, unlike a lot of modern television that's trying to chase this model of imitating a Game of Thrones season and how those that season like constructed its overall dramatic arc is succession understands that repetition is important because you're a television show and a television show that is a weekly thing is supposed to be constructed in a way that reminds us that its characters are the same people throughout the season. But 
what makes it interesting is that it's always poking at those dynamics and looking at them from different angles. It doesn't do the thing where like the umbrella Academy, where we spend 10 episodes saying the same thing over and over again. And then a new season starts and suddenly everything is different because we had to have a big shakeup at the end. Succession is able to build these big implosions that shake everything up, but not really. It's like everything gets shook up in a snow globe and, I think that is almost more interesting to watch than an actual explosion. But, so. but I did notice someone say something on Twitter that I thought was really clever. There was a bit of back and forth about the season finale, and they were saying that the show is very original, unlike most American TV shows. And exactly what you're saying, it is very repetitive. And But it still does a few things that we are accustomed to expecting. Like, for example, it really does wait till the very last episode for the big, big event to happen, the big twist or whatever, you know, it's going to hook you, but you're going to want to stay tuned to watch like the next season. Whereas like even Game of Thrones, they would do it in like episode eight or episode nine and a succession. No, it's, it's the very last episode. He understands how to write television and it's, it's this gradual slow buildup to that very last episode of the season that in a way wraps up the season and starts this whole new twisted plot and it's all ready and set up like we shouldn't actually talk about the specifics just yet but when we go into season four it's going to feel like a completely different show but yet familiar because of the roles and how everything's changed yeah yeah we're going to be living in a different society but have they actually said it's going to take it's going to take three years for the next season no but i mean come on we're ending 2021 it's not going to air in 20 they're not going to start filming it until maybe sometime next year no, no he has like, he ha- they haven't even started writing season four yet yeah we're not seeing it until uh, for at least two and a half years yeah After. just very quickly can someone give like the, the elevator pitch as to what the show's about uh, i sort of tried to do this earlier but i was dancing around it so uh the, the i mean it's really pretty simple uh, at, at the base of it it's it's about as i as i was saying a mur a, a murdoch style media clan or in canada the parallel would be the rogers family who in yeah, reality exactly. do actually have a contentious relationship sort of like this probably with fewer uh notions of incest anyway that's the other thing it has in common with game of thrones we should mention um anyway uh and the uh, the the patriarch of this family is played, as Ricky said, by Brian Cox, uh, and it is essentially the story of these uh, Gen Xers and older millennials uh, in the family waiting in the wings to potentially take over. But this boomer motherfucker will not die. That genuinely is sort of the uh, the through line of the show. And, uh, and the first season, he almost does die. And so yeah, that's in, when indeed, everyone starts in, in fighting the, for the quote unquote throne. And it's a story exactly, of legacy, so, you know, a generation of legacy media meeting up with the generation of the Internet as well. And there's exactly. four kids, but everybody forgets that one of them exists. Indeed. Uh, poor, poor Alan Ruck. <laughs> he is the eldest son. The, the Played eldest by the son. great Alan Ruck. Indeed. Um yeah, I mean, truly, the entire show really is about the the this family feud and the sort of um, the broader media and political repercussions that uh, that happen to show up as a result, and of course, their various jockeying for power and uh, uh, and and lots of uh, what's turning out to be a surprising number of um, of uh, I know the showrunners have said no cameos, but I think what they mean is no cameos by you know mark zuckerberg is never going to show up but there has been a number of um 
pretty high profile actors showing up for for brief periods and and, 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 and their buddies and, are and, always going to get on you know yeah and in, and in my opinion almost all of those roles are very well cast which is unusual for a show like this like holly hunter i mean holly hunter actually has the least interesting of those roles in my opinion i would say like seeing actresses like hope davis show up out of nowhere is the kind of stuff that i, I really love to see out of succession's casting you know as, as i've mentioned uh, it's not easy to get people to watch uh, the show because of the subject matter, because they're so used to, you know, actual one percenters and actual life uh, ruining their actual lives. But I think that sort of another thing that, we're, that we've sort of been dancing around is that um, there's some debate as to whether or not the show counts as a drama or a comedy. Um, and I have to say that when I started actually enjoying the show was uh I, I really struggled with the pilot just because I, I did feel like it was a little bit more straight, straight laced and straight faced than a lot of the rest of the show is. But um, as the first season goes along, I did find it, it loosens up a bit and it, and they they found the, they found the, 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 the comic vein that works, I think pretty early on and they've stuck with it. And to me, I mostly enjoy the show as a comedy, even though I think crucially that when it does need to work as a drama and the music helps uh, Nicholas Bertel's scoring, fantastic by the way um really really helps um to 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 yank the tone in the other preferred direction when they really need it might be like the best modern score we've had on tv in a while like it that's how that's how that's able to affect the emotional palette of the show is like incredible for sure i think since hannibal i i you know i i think this is the best show since hannibal uh and i think the who I don't know who the composer is, but Nicholas Bertel, incredible, incredible guy. work. But but I mean, I think it's possible that a TV show like, for example, season one could be more leaning towards drama. If you're like thinking about like the Golden Globes or the Emmys, whatever it is, trying to categorize it. But then you can get to like season two, season three, and becomes more of a black comedy. I mean, look, you can't get a scene like you do in the season finale of season three, where a man confesses that he killed a young boy like about what 18 19 20 years old and his siblings crack a bunch of jokes because they don't know how to process the grief and how to actually make them feel better and how to be humans because they're just like this really fucked up family and so you get this incredible scene which is most likely going to get this actor his his award his emmy whatever because it was just such a brilliant performance and so well directed and he's breaking down in tears crying and he's basically dead inside and his siblings do not know how to react so they do this kind of like weird thing where you know you get shiv and she puts her like hand on his like forehead because i guess i guess she saw someone do that in a movie and so that's how people are supposed to be texting at the moment and yeah she's busy texting and and then you get um you got kieran culkin's roman who, you know, he's cracking jokes about why it took him so long to get a drink at her wedding, because that's the very same day that the waiter actually died. And if you remember way back in season one, was it season one or season two when that happens, when the waiter does die? Season one. Season one, they there are a bunch of like cutaway shots to the wedding where nobody can get a drink. So it's like it's like this clever callback. It it it, it brings in like not even a touch of humor, like a lot of black humor into like one of the most devastating scenes in the entire uh, series, like in all three seasons, like that's the scene that just like, I mean, it, it was, it was so emotional and it, it, it takes this character who everyone thought, I mean, I didn't, but a lot of people thought he died in the last episode at the very end. I was like, there's no, and Simon, you and I had to talk about this. I'm like, there's no way they killed him because I just kind of feel like 
like the whole show is called Succession. It's all about these siblings trying to like figure out who's going to take over the company when their dad passes away. And a lot of the drama revolves around the character, um, Jeremy Strong's Kendall, right. Or it revolves yeah. around him. And I was like, there's, if they, if they kill this character, I mean, they could do it. Cause this is a clever enough team and the writers are way smarter than you, me and Randy combined. No offense. Um, and they can find ways to make it work, but it's going to be a completely different show. But the point is like, this is what I mean about, this show being so unlike anything on TV, because I can't think of another show that can pull off a scene like that. By the way, that's also, like Randy said, beautifully scored. And like I said earlier, like one of the best shot sequences in all of television of 2021. Well, I think that's why comparing it to Game of Thrones does it a disservice because Succession is able to it doesn't have to dispose of characters when it, I mean, we've had one character, Holly Hunter's kind of been disposed of from the show, but outside of that, like this show doesn't burn through interesting stories with characters so quickly that it does have to dispose of people to, to kind of drum up dramatic interest. It's, it's kind of the antithesis of that, that it's able to keep characters kind of on the same treadmill, but able to, evolve them in their stories in ways that feel it's the one part of the show that's really naturalistic is how it treats you know the evolution or the lack of evolution in its main characters can i just quickly say before simon cuts in like i i i mentioned the game of thrones reference at the start just because i'm trying to explain how i'm trying to sell it to people who like that show and i i totally I totally am with you. Like, I agree with you, but it's all about the family dynamic, the fight for power. And the difference, the big difference, too, is that in Game of Thrones, people used to tune in to find out who's going to die next. People tune into succession to try to figure out how so-and-so is going to outsmart so-and-so. So it's more about how the brain works, not about how someone's going to stab someone in the back with a knife. Another thing about succession that I think... Uh... Neat, that that I personally really love about it and I think um, is another aspect of how well it's found its very specific voice is I love the way it handles reality. I love the way it world builds. Uh, it has, Ricky, you kind of alluded to this earlier. It doesn't exactly take place in our universe, but it takes place in a universe very similar to ours. And it made me think about The Good Wife and about uh, – about uh, this is really directed at you, Randy, because I, I know Ricky, you haven't seen a lot of this, but uh, it makes me think about the um, the Robert and Michelle King series and the way they world build, and you know they build out these fake companies and these this constellation of of uh, of judges and attorneys who kind of exist in the background and show up every once in a while. And I, I think I wonder if uh, Jesse Armstrong has seen stuff like that because I kind of feel like Succession has taken that concept and and given it the. Um, they're doing like the HBO prestige spin of version of that where we're getting this very dense network and it's just it's a lot more tightly controlled than what the Kings do. And also it, their approach to, um, you know, th- th- they're, for instance, the president in uh, succession is a Republican, uh, but it's clearly not Trump. It's some other guy, the guy they refer to as the Raisin, um, who uh anyway something happens with him during the th- during the course of the third season but he's clearly not a real person uh he is some invention of the show who hasn't who probably will never be physically seen 
Um, but I, I, I just love the way the show has this alternate, this alternate universe that occasionally touches ours. Like, like you mentioned, Ricky, they'll mention a Mark Zuckerberg or they'll, they'll mention some other real life figure, but generally it creates its own cosmology that just happens to sort of comment on our own. For instance, the Alexander uh, Skarsgård character is sort of like, uh, what if Elon Musk actually was sort of the shark he wishes he could be like he's he's or like the alpha or whatever like that's that's a very like intense and effective character who actually is smart and knows what he's doing uh this person does not exist in real life uh but as a character for this universe he makes sense and it's stuff like that i just think is super smart but there are characters in the show that feel unreal like greg is one of the fan favorites, right? But mm-hmm. I've always felt that his character doesn't feel like a real person. Like he feels like he's written to show to inject a lot of black comedy. I think he's going to play a major role, like a bigger role in season four moving forward because of his relationship with Tom. But he just doesn't feel like a, a real character. He's so odd. He's the uh, what's the name of um, Aaron Paul's character on Bojack Horseman? uh paul so who who someone who actually really liked bojack horseman will know this that the point is he's the character who tags along for wacky adventures in every episode and the wacky adventures may or may not touch whatever else is going on if you took if you if you had you know a person that was that goofy and naive who had was just adjacent enough to the kind of power that his family could afford him i mean i think it's going back to how carefully this show constructs its world building. It's a reason Todd. why someone like Thank uh, you. a character can fall, can't fall apart. Jeez, that was really bugging me. Yeah. I'm sorry, Randy was bugging me. At it. No, I was like, okay. what is his name? Was it Paul? No, it's Todd. Yeah, no, continue. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's just to say that I think the reason the characters on the show are able to work is because this show it's subtle touches of world building, but it's there and it's deliberate in a way that again, I keep harping on this kind of like amorphous shape of modern television, but I'm mostly thinking about like the 10 episode seasons that Netflix drops of dramas every two weeks where everything just kind of takes place in this amorphous gray space that is given a name and a location, but just is someplace that they filmed it and, Canada or Nova Scotia or whatever and succession under because succession spends every episode in a different location and or most of it in interiors it has to do its world building through language and you know it helps that its writers are extremely good at dialogue but it also understands that you can you can world build subtly and quietly and it does that in every episode to the point where it can have a character like Skarsgård's um, tech bro just say the word Mark and we know he's talking about Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, to be fair, because of the pandemic, they were limited to where they can actually film for season three. And you can see that within like, especially like the first, I would say like what, five, six episodes. I mean, there are episodes where Shiv wears the exact same clothes and a lot of people called, called her out on it. I mean, her, like whatever, the show on Twitter because it just felt like they were filming those scenes back to back, even though they belong in different episodes, because again, the pandemic, but, but even season one and season two, before the pandemic, 
it was mostly shot indoors, like you said, Randy, mostly in offices and in buildings. But season one, I mean, except for, of course, season one, because there was also the wedding, right? So there's a lot of weddings, too, in uh, Succession. Another similarity to Game of Thrones, by the way. Um, just going to piss Randy off and keep on bringing up the Game of Thrones references. But can I just say that also, like, you know, when you talk about smart writing, this is one of, one of those shows where everything happens for a reason. Like, you could have a guy drinking a milkshake. And there's a very specific reason why Logan is drinking that very specific type of milkshake, which we learn at the end of the episode is because he's trying to have babies. And that's why he eats specific food, has a very specific diet there. You know, if you look at what happens in season one within the four siblings and then you look at what happens in the season, the, the season three finale. And there's like this one great scene where the four siblings, Connor, uh, Roman, Kendall and Shiv are having breakfast or brunch and connor freaks out because he needs to remind them that he's the oldest and there's this whole exchange between them and and there's a lot that's being said in that conversation that was also said like three years ago in season one but they don't really listen you know what i mean that's that's the thing mm -hmm. about this family like and i'm specifically talking about the roy family these people do not listen. And because they don't listen to what they're saying, they don't learn. And so all the people around them start gaining the power like Tom, like um, uh, what's her face? Everyone's Jerry. character, Jerry, you know, uh, someone Frank, Tom so and on Jerry. So forth. Tom, I like Jerry. That. I mean, it's because they actually listen and and they can see what's happening around them and they're not blind like the, the problem with these kids is they're born into a rich family it's like uh the dad said logan at the very end of season three like go make your own million dollars go make your own billion dollars like they just assume that the company is going to fall into their lap they are so busy fighting for who's going to take over that what they don't realize is that in all honesty neither one of these people is actually good enough cunning enough smart enough to actually take over but I, as a team as a unit they can do it and they, they can make it work and that's where we get at the end of, at the end of season three we almost get it because we have kendall we have shiv we have roman who finally decide to team up against their dad but there's still one missing ingredient and that's connor and i think connor is going to be the secret weapon and i think he's going to play a major part, a major role in season four. I think Connor thinks he's going to be the secret weapon and, and Connor will never be important ever. Connor, you think, come on, Connor, Roy, there's gotta be some sort of like clause and some kind of contract where the fourth or oldest son has some kind of control or power that stops Logan from selling the company. Like, do you actually think that this show would still be as good? I mean, it could be, but like, is he actually going to sell the company? Like, cause, cause the thing is like, there was like a lot of talk about, uh, between, sorry, I forget Skarsgård's character's name between Logan and him. What was his name again? Uh, Matson. Matson. There's a lot of talk between Matson and Logan and, you know, a lot of ideas floating around where I don't necessarily think that he needs to sell Waystar to him. They could do a little bit of exchanges here and there, which with which they were talking about. Like, I don't see Brian Cox not being a businessman. What's this guy going to do? He's going to sit around in his pool all day long. Like, this is a guy who, I mean, not, like he say, he says nothing makes him like happy. Everything's everything's boring. Like, like for him, 
what he gets a kick out of is actually winning, actually defeating someone, actually outsmarting someone. That's what he lives for. So here's maybe my hottest take on succession is that I think of, even though it's very well done, I could kind of care less about the overarching narrative of the, the show's like plot and the, the fate of um, like Waystar Royco. I think no matter where this show goes, it's going to find interesting places and interesting conflicts to put his characters in. And I think, it's shown a flexibility to do that with the many characters that it has that I kind of would afford it a long leash on like what it might try to do narratively. And I think, I don't know, it's strange. It's, it's a show that I have a lot of interest in, but kind of like speculating on its narrative, I have almost no interest in it. And it almost feels like succession doesn't really want us to either like it wants to us to have that feeling of that shocking moment where it's revealed that in, at the end of season three not much is really going to change at all except you know, like the kids aren't going to take power like which would have been the big change for the series instead logan we're going to see what happens when logan has to share power that's that's kind of kind of be the big change of season four and i i appreciate that with the show that it doesn't feel like it has to make us curious about a bazillion different plot twists at the end of the season to keep our interest in we're interested when the credits drop because we see shiv's jaw drop and we realize that the that kendall was probably the only person who realized what was going on as it was happening and seeing that realization and and the excitement that comes out of that and what it means for their relationship is what i think is interesting about succession. I don't know. It's weird because it's tough to say that the best show on TV has a narrative I don't care about, but on some level, I don't care about the narratives of, of succession. Well, you're right and wrong. And what I mean by that is I can't change how you feel, but I think, I think the thing is that we all care about, about the overall narrative in terms of like what's going to happen with the company, just because when that happens, it means the show is going to end. That's that. It's not, it's not like, I don't care who is in charge at the end, who becomes the CEOs, who, you know, it's just, it's just that like, if you don't if think succession they, can exist without Waystar as like an entity, I, I think it can. I, I just don't think that's what the writer wants to do. I don't think he's gunning for this series to be more than like four or five seasons. And I can't imagine him stretching out for more than four or five seasons where we don't have a successor and, or they don't actually sell the company. And so for me, it's not that I care like you, I don't care but I care about not wanting the show to end. Like I know it's going to end and I don't want the show to stretch out for 10 seasons and be like a complete disaster in the last two, like game of Thrones. But I, I still like do care that it ends because I mean, the sh season three just ended and I'm mourning. Like I, I just, I can't wait for season four and I know I'm going to have to wait two and a half years. And I, I think I'm just gonna have to go back and rewatch all three seasons because I just love this show. Like, I mean, I remember back in the days when we started blogging and podcasting, you, me and Simon, like way back 2007, 2008, 2009, what was happening? We had like walking dead game of Thrones, breaking bad, like all these shows. And it was like prestige TV. And like every week we would watch an episode and in between each episode, there was a water cooler talk. Talk, and we would talk about, you know, what we think is going to happen. We would speculate and there would be like a lot of tension and we would write articles. And I miss those days because now in 2021, yes, we still have shows that release episodes on a weekly basis, but not at this high quality of uh, of like succession. And also 
most shows these days get dropped like day one the entire season it's just not the same binge binge watching a show and i don't know like succession is is the closest i felt to the good old days of like again like breaking bad like do, do you remember having to wait six seven days for an episode of breaking bad or an entire season and writing articles and doing podcasts i mean that's the best way to watch TV, like not having an entire season of Stranger Things drop in one day. And although I love that show, I, I still do not believe that's the best way for a streaming service or a network to release a, a TV show. I think this is the best way. And I think that if you have enough confidence in your show and you know your your, your writing's good enough, you know your audience is going to come back. Like the thing about Succession is the reason why it doesn't have an audience as big as um, I don't know, CSI is because the show is just too smart for most people. And, and I say that say, thinking that it's too smart for me a lot of times, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and it's it, the, at the same time, it's not it, at the same, well, at the same time, it's not because like for, there's a lot of like talk about stuff that I know nothing about, like when it comes to business, but it's, it's all lingo. It's all like, it's not actual real talk. It's not the way people would actually talk. They talk to a lawyer it's all like coded and and that's what makes it funny. You know what I mean? It's hard to explain. Like you have to watch a show, but like they say something, but they really mean something else. They're always talking in code and it well, took me a while to pick up on it. They're sometimes talking in code, but I think what I personally really like about a lot of the dialogue is that a lot of them are sort of a, uh, a dumb guy's take on how to sound smart um, or how to sound insulting. Like a lot of the insults that the kids throw at each other are really not very inventive. Um, and I, and I like that because like the, these kids, especially like when, when, whenever they just settle for calling each other, like whatever, a limp dick fuck or whatever, just the, 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 the first crude thing that's there, just fucking the, the, somebody's parent somehow. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like when, when they say something like, well, they need the majority in order to buy it. No, no. They need the majority in order to sell the company so we can outvote them. So you understand, okay, if there's three of them and they're the majority, then there's only two more people that they have to outvote. Like it's it's like anyone can understand that the board consists of like five people. But that's what I mean. Like, like they know this. Like the characters clearly know this. They're only saying those lines out loud to feed the audience, the viewers, a bit of information to understand that, wait a minute, he can't just sell the company right away. But that's that's the beauty of the show because it's it's one of the smartest shows on television 2021 but he simplifies it so anyone can really follow but you do need to be patient because i know a lot of people would sit through like me the first four or five episodes and start thinking this show's not really for me well the 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 only other thing that i would i would add in terms of like uh that uh, I'm assuming that there's no one left listening who, you know, isn't already watching. But um, the last thing I wanted to highlight is something that I think uh, will keep me coming uh, to the show, regardless of what happens with the broader narrative. And I, I think I'm kind of on Randy's page in terms of, you know, uh, other than the actual life or death of characters, I'm really not that, that I'm not really not that invested in the, in the, the fate of Waystar. But I, I will say that uh, what the show's done really well is um, it's assembled these characters who really have everything like they want for nothing, even if they're they're locked out of the company and, and can't come back. They'll still want for nothing the rest of their lives. And people like that who have everything um, are really, really intensely neurotic and uh, they treat each other very strangely. Uh, I know this because I've worked for some of them. 
And uh, what I think the show does really well is it it has developed these appropriately strange and at times uh, sometimes quite readable, but at other times very inscrutable interpersonal relationships between these mostly siblings um, that are sometimes upsetting and sometimes funny and sometimes, um, according to slash fiction writers, erotic. <laughs> uh, I will not step into that particular minefield myself. Um, like but I just I don't know I, Simon. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I just I I just think that the the interactions, but the inter the sort of intersections between the characters are just a little bit more interesting and uh, in 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 most cases a lot more funny. Uh, I think than things we're allowed to get from the average prestige drama. Like there's just there is no parallel to in, in another show, for instance, to me, but uh, to the um, to the Roman and Jerry relationship, or even really to the Tom and Greg relationship in, in anything else on TV. The characters in the show are clearly rich, filthy rich. We know this, but does that change anything about apart from the overall narrative about the actual show? No, I mean they could be poor, they could be middle class, like you would still have the same kind of like relationship between Roman and Jerry. You would still have a similar relationship between Tom and uh greg i mean it could be like well you not mean necessarily it could be... because if once you these characters exist on a level they literally exist outside of society so like the regular stories that you get from comedies and dramas of oh i have to pay medical bill or go to job for the day or else my kid dies or you know whatever a television show is telling its stories of these characters literally exist outside of that it's like um there's so many better examples, but I, I, uh, I'm thinking of like, um, I can't think of the name of the stupid Netflix episode. series, but the, the cyber sci-fi series where the rich people literally live in the clouds above everyone else. You know what I mean? Like, so we don't have to, we can have these rich character tapestries because we don't really need to tell stories about things happening to these people because these are the people that do the things that happen to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. But what I'm trying to say is the real drama comes out of things that anyone can really relate to, regardless if you're rich or not. Like, yeah, you're right. They don't focus on, for example, I need to go to work and pay my medical bill because my kid's in the hospital. OK, fine. I don't know any show that would actually do that. Maybe this is us. I don't know what the point is. When you look at a relationship like Tom and Shiv, a married couple where they're not really in love and she's not sure she wants to have babies. I mean, yes, it's. It's taken to a different level because they're rich. I understand that. But I'm just saying, like, regardless if they're rich or not, like, that's it's not the money that's the issue. The issue is the fact that I don't think she loves him. I'm not entirely sure why they got married. Because they're so rich that they can get married for a career. Most people don't get married as a career-minded move. People who are so rich that they're thinking about like generational wealth and shit like that, like how high on the corporate ladder they can go, like that's not of concern to the average human being when they're thinking of constructing relationships. And that's why like using the relationships of the Roy family with the, the the people in their vicinity is such an interesting construction because they don't, they don't, we're not funneling normal human problems through that. The season finale is literally about children whose holding company, their mother got in a billion dollar divorce settlement gets taken away from them by their daddy who laughs at $10 million being added to his pile. Like, what makes the human stories of these people interesting is because they are very much not humans at all that we can understand. Like, like there's maybe 
200 people on this entire planet that live the lives of the Roy children. Or maybe a couple thousand, but you understand what I'm saying here. Like a story about a marriage can't have the same weight that you would have on a regular show because the the concerns like the Breaking Bad is a story about a marriage taking place in lower middle class where they can't afford healthcare because they have cancer. When Logan Roy has a stroke, that's not a concern for anybody. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think the show is smart enough to bring it to a level where people could still relate to it. Like two people can still get married for because it's financially better for them. Like maybe you're in a relationship with someone for five years and you realize that if you get married and you buy a house and you split the bills, for example, and you actually move in, then it's financially beneficial for you and your wife or husband. But maybe when you get into the marriage, that's when you realize that you're not right for each other. Like there, there still could be similarities to like the ordinary Joe. That's what I'm trying to say here. And that, that applies to a lot of the drama that unfolds. But yes, it is about the super uber rich family. That's like the 1%. But Simon, cut in. Uh, well, it, it, I, I think the uh, to, to, to hopefully synthesize the takes that are floating around now and possibly bring us to a, a conclusion soon. Um, I think that what the show does really well is um, it doesn't soft pedal um, the strangeness of their lives or like how remote that they're, they're all in their own sort of fortresses of solitude, some more than others. Um, but I think that uh, the the show kind of I think Jesse Armstrong and company have a lot of fun toying with our sympathies and our in our identification, like the way that when the show starts, our point of view character actually is Greg in a sense, like he's kind of the uh, he's our our eyes and ears as we sort of get to get to know the Roy's. But by the third season, he's just, you know, one one goofy character among many. Uh, and our identification is totally split across many characters. Uh, most uh, most often towards uh, Kendall because he's this season he basically spends the entire thing in crisis over this uh, you know somewhat somewhat uh, this death that he uh, is is somewhat responsible for let's say um, and I th- I think that what the show does really well and what Armstrong and Co do really well is they don't they do not soften the characters whatsoever. Uh, I don't think, or, or at least not much. They don't do a lot to make them more likable, and they 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 have them do bad things and respond to them poorly and not learn or learn the wrong thing. Um, but uh, I th- I think that it respects the characters enough and it respects the audience enough to to take to let the characters take their problems as seriously as these characters would. Even we don't necessarily take their problems as seriously as they do, but the characters take it very, very seriously. And it's, um, and I think that translates into, into good drama and good comedy. But the funny thing is, and this is my point of view, you guys can completely disagree with me, but I think the most unlikable character is the character. They actually try to make the audience sympathize with the most, which is Kendall Roy. Because Kendo is actually proven to be a bad person, like a really bad person in his past, like where he gets a homeless man to tattoo his name on his forehead, where he actually... And he's a terrible father. <laughs> I can never awful, find his very kids. bad father. That's my favorite running joke is that whenever Kendall's kids are featured in an episode, he has no idea where they are. Yeah, such a terrible person, terrible husband, terrible ex-husband, terrible boyfriend. And he did sort of like killed this young boy. I mean, at the end of the day, he left the kid to drown and, you know, he's responsible to some, I would say to some degree. I mean, you can argue about if, if he actually killed him or not, but whatever. And, and then you have like 
Roman and Shiv and Connor and Connor's like this big, huge goof. And, and Shiv never, she never really does anything wrong. I mean, sure. She doesn't really love Tom, but I mean, who would love Tom? She makes every bad decision. She makes the thing about Shiv is she makes the worst decision possible in any situation. And that's why I love her. Right. But like, I I think it's more of they, they, they turn a blind eye clearly and they know there's shit happening and maybe like, it's not really good shit that's happening, but like, I don't see her actually hurting physically or emotionally, like maybe emotionally, but she's not really hurting people. Like, and the, neither the, is Roman, really. Tell me she didn't hurt Tom. Poor Tom, who oh, she tried, to, hurt tried Tom. to love a woman. Tom is the worst. <laughs> Tom rocks. Tom is uh, Tom shout the out to, actual Shout God. out to Matthew McFadden. I, I mean, the other, th- I think another thing that I, I have to give Armstrong and Co. a shout for is that um, uh, really other than Logan and Jerry, um, Jerry, uh, I mean, really, Jerry's only mistake is indulging uh, Roman's whims, which we can perhaps talk about at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, those are the only two characters who are kind of uh, the adults in the room, them and the underlings uh, like Carl, who we don't spend a lot of time with. Uh, all the other, uh, the the actual children have tremendous foibles and like huge glaring mistakes. And um, I love that Shiv is perhaps the most inept of all of them. Uh, despite having, uh, you know, this girl boss energy that you'd think the one who was a political things. strategist. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing about Logan, what I do like about his character is I clearly don't like him. But what I like about him is he is who he is. You know, it's like I know who he is because he doesn't try to hide who he is. He doesn't bullshit. You know, I know exactly who he is. I know what to expect. I know he's not a good man, but I know he's a businessman. You know what I mean? And so I think when he meets Madison for the first time and they have that exchange, that conversation, he quickly identifies him as a real businessman, someone who means business and someone who's so like him that he kind of wishes that was his son. And that's when he sends his actual son, Roman, away to do business with Madison because that's who he wants to to rule the company. He wishes one of his kids could be like that, but he didn't raise them to be like that, to be a wolf. And and the 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 the, the, the depressing thing here is that we can make fun of these four kids. And we call them kids. I mean, they're adults, but his kids, um, Roman, Kendo, Shiv, and Connor. But they're like abused children. They're they're they they come from this like background um like there's this household where i mean even their mom said that she would never get a dog because the the husband the dad logan would want to kick the dog to see if it would come back in other in other words he would have i mean the logan dog. slapped kendall's kid which i mean is not usually an accepted thing even among families for grandparents to be smacking their grandchildren around it's certainly out of the ordinary. I think um, when you're speaking, you're speaking of Roman, one of the more interesting arcs to me in season three was the show kind of examining why Logan was kind of, you could see why Logan was leaning towards Roman a bit because there's an honesty that Roman has in 99.9% of human situations that, is often reflected in how Logan handles business. Of course, where we run into that conflict is that Roman has some sexual hangups that um, lead to some glaring character defects. And ultimately that's what makes Logan uncomfortable with him. And Mad- Madsen's almost 
lack of sexuality as a human being. He is about as dry as they come. Kind of like you said, Ricky gives him that dream son. But I think one of the things this season did really well and not something I saw a lot of people talk about was really showing us that Roman is more similar to his father than somebody like Kendall or who has more empathy. You know, he's a piece of shit, but he, as we see in the finale, he has more empathy built into his person than Logan has the dinner that they have in episode eight proves that as, as well, I think because Logan can be heartless in a way that Kendall cannot. Um, but the problem with Roman is he can never stand up. And we see that right away in season one, he can't even raise his hands. He can't never, he, except never that he able- did in the finale. He did. He finally with the, with the siblings united together, Roman finally stood up to his father. And that's where the show's like really, kind of this this whole season really came together but yeah exactly but it's a little too late because like the when like season two when we're on the boat he's not going to choose roman as has a successor because he doesn't think that he's capable of actually taking over the company the way he wants him to because he never stood up to him like there's a loyalty there like he knows roman will always be loyal up until that very last episode of season three that is but even in that very last episode he's not like betraying his dad he's begging his dad like that's the thing he didn't stab his dad in the back yeah he showed up with kendall and shiv but face to face like i'm not stabbing you behind your back like kendall i'm begging you to not do this but that's still in the eyes of logan makes him weak it's like you're 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 here begging me this is pathetic he called them a bunch of fucking peasants that's Uh, not the kind of children he wants pedestrians right he called them a bunch of fucking pedestrians I feel like they they could spend an entire episode of season four just on like a scenes from a marriage style breakdown between uh, Connor and Willa. And I would be absolutely down for that. I was really hoping we'd get to see some of Willa's play. That was the one thing I was hoping we'd get either late last season or this season was an episode set at like the European premiere of her play or something like that. But. Well, and, and that actually, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that brings to mind another thing that I love about the show, which is the denial of obvious pleasures. Um, and there's a great example of that in the birthday party episode when it opens with this tease that we're going to get this other, you know, like in season two when we got the uh, Logan's birthday party with, uh, with Kendall rapping. Oh uh, you what know, was the song he was singing, like an Eric Clapton song or some shit. Billy Joel, he was singing Billy Joel. Yeah, he was singing this Billy Joel song oh with this God. strangely melodious voice, uh, and it it seems to be teasing another sequence like that. But then you know he pulls the plug, and doesn't do any of it. We don't see what he's going to do with the crucifix or whatever. Um, I don't know stuff like that. I really love that. That is my favorite episode of season three. It's not the best. I do think the last episode is the best episode of season three, but. I just love that that entire episode because you when you talk about taking away the pleasure like that is like that was honestly like one of the worst if not the worst birthday party ever because at <laughs> least the characters that we follow none of them were having fun like in, like I mean Madison was bored she, like except for Shiv she had a little moment where she started dancing like a lunatic which was amazing but I don't think she was actually having fun like I think she was just letting out her anger. The day a Roy child has fun on succession is the day. No, I was going to say the only way Shiv can have fun is by like (laughs) kicking puppies to death. You know, like she does. She has no get run over by a bus or something. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Over and over. Shit is about to pop off. Party! 
It's my birthday! It's my 40th birthday party. I love that episode so much. Are they playing from the approved playlist in the main room? Because my, my, my thing was all bangers all the time. To me, it was like the consummation of everything that I want to do on this show, that I get to do on this show. Oh my God, this feels disgustingly Kendall. Once we knew that Kendall was gonna turn 40, the party has that quality, right? Of something that's been thought about too much. Congratulations. You've just been born into the world of Kendall Roy. Oh, okay. So I'm inserting myself into my mom's vagina now? Is that oh. what's happening? Cold and inhospitable. Seems to check out. That birthday party was an extraordinary set. Incredible. It was certainly one of my favorites to shoot because of the production design and Opulence. the art direction. Just seeing the page and going, how are they going to pull this off? And we have to shoot them in various locations. To think that Kendall has made people build these sets for his party. You know, in the compliments tunnel to hire actors to yell at you from bushes. You're so full of grace. What's that? I think he said, you're full of grace. That's a weird thing to say. Being sarcastic. And just like the preposterousness involved. It's nothing but, can we, can we get Connor to lose his coat? I had a badly torn rotator cuff. I needed to get it fixed. So they wrote it into the episode. So Connor as well. Kendall, it's like anything that messes with his vibe. Just get rid of it. The whole thing is just bizarre and yeah. sad. Go on, tell us who's here. Who isn't? Your dad? Your mom. Your wife and kids. Roman, going into that party with a mission of getting to Madsen and feeling pretty confident that if I can just get in the room with him and talk to him, that I can land the deal. Well, I guess I do have one question, though. When will your father die? Roman, he's got a capacity to cut to the quick. Well, obviously, hugely looking forward to my father dying, yeah. but um, there, there's another shape to this. That can be its own kind of strength. Why don't we just, like, take a big old piss on our app? He can read people really well, and I think he's just good at that. It's that bullshitting kind of thing. All Matson did is agree to a meeting, but going into that feeling really confident that we just built something really cool there, and I think I've solidified my position with Dad that I'm clearly the guy. Look at what I can do. Uh, I actually got something from uh, Dad. We hope you like it. Even very delightful moments in life can fade pretty quickly. The offer to buy out Kendall, it's a powerful signifier, and that's what Shiv sees as well. What is it? It's not, it's a, it's, a, it's a little move to ease him out of the holding company. You and Dad, whole season up until this point, it's just been stacks on Shiv, in, in her mind at least. You've taken some lumps. I'm sorry, just historically, who owns the fucking company has been of some interest. Dad and I handled it. Dad that's and not... I handled it? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, I love that. It's great. We found the title late, which was from a Bernstein Bears book, Too Much Birthday. It just feels like an asshole's birthday party. And my thing from the very first meeting was that it shouldn't feel like an asshole's birthday party. It brought together a few feelings about the shape of the episode and went from the character of being great to really hitting rock bottom. Did you come here to see me at all? In terms of the emotional event of the episode, the party was always meant to be the worst birthday ever. Good night. Hey. Oh. Birthdays are often a time for looking how your life's gone and where you're at, and that really is too much birthday for Kendall.
All right, so we normally ask five questions on a normal episode of Sorted Cinema where we review movies, but I do have a few questions for you guys before we wrap up the show. I want to know who your favorite character is, like in all honesty. Who is your favorite character in Succession? It's Kendall. It's an easy choice, but God damn it. Like I've been, I know Jeremy Strong in his performance has kind of become the talk of the internet in the past week, but I've been on board with what he's been doing and the intensity he's brought to that role since the first two scenes of season one, when he's like sitting in the limo with the fucking headphones on, like bumping out to um, like Riza or whatever he's listening to. Like I've been on board with that performance the whole way. And it's, it's lent. It, it, it is. I have become biased towards the plight of Kendall Roy. Uh, I don't know about favorite, but the one that I, the character that I, I think I have the most empathy for and the one who, who, uh, whose position I always think about is actually Jerry. And the reason for that is, first of all, J. Smith Cameron, fantastic actor. Shout out to Rectify. So, shout out to Rectify. Shout out to Margaret uh, and, and like everything Kenneth Lonergan's done. Um, and uh, just shout out to her in general. She rules. Um, but also um, she's not in the family. She doesn't have these. Um, she is not an ambitious person, really. Um, all she's really trying to do, and this is like, I don't know, it takes me back to working at startups and working with like awful CEOs and actually being in touch with people sort of like uh, the ones you see on succession. And I remember just being there, just holding on for dear life and just like going day by day, dealing with the egos and just trying to do the job. And um, I think Jerry dramatizes this really effectively. I, I like the, the little glimpses we get into her home and dating life and how she's trying her hardest to just be a regular goddamn person while being surrounded by these uh, these insane assholes. And uh, I don't know. I just I, I find her plight really sympathetic. I say all that knowing that she is essentially the president of Fox, <laughs> you know, like, you know, obviously a bad person. Do you think you can name your favorite episode of Succession? Or is that too hard? Maybe just season three. Uh, I, to be honest, even though the, even though I think that the um, the episodes are really like beautifully divided, and I think that the different locations help with that, uh, I do think of the show as being extremely consistent. And like, I don't think of it that much in terms of episodes, except of course, uh, the things like the birthday party one do stand out. Uh, I don't know. I I do think that if I, if I had to pick a season, I do think season three has been the strongest. The fact that they ended up only doing nine episodes and not ten, I think, actually ended up being really great it was a uh, there was so little wasted time even though there's really like my only complaint about the season overall is is just like such small portions you know like there's so many characters like the justin kirk character for instance i would have really liked to, to have seen more of that and i'm sure we will next season so you know not not having enough is not really a valid complaint um, you know season three is by far the best i also agree i'm glad it's nine episodes and hbo released a little featurette i think it's about five minutes on youtube and it's an interview well, I would say, like, I guess it's an interview, uh, you would call it. It's a featurette with Jesse Armstrong. And he talks about how they had no idea how they wanted to end season three. And from my understanding, they decided to end season three the way they did as soon as they actually filmed it. Because they said it was all about how Tom walked in and then Logan put his hand on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. And the way it was framed, just like The Godfather, except he actually walks in, whereas The Godfather, they close the doors, right? And then the reaction from Shiv and the way just like everyone that was present in the room, the way everyone reacted to Tom walking in. And that's how he decided to end 
the season. Like from my understanding, it was a last minute decision. Well, they did multiple takes actually. They did takes where Kendall was the only one who was aware of what happens at the end. And then they did a take where Shiv was aware. Um, the actress was talking about it in an interview uh, the other right. day. But it was, it was when they actually filmed her take that they decided, okay, no, that's the way we need to end the show. Because that wasn't orig- originally planned, is what I'm saying. It was based wow. on her performance, yeah. Um, and my favorite episode, like, look, my favorite episode, I think the best episode is the last episode. So I guess technically it's my favorite episode. I mean, I can watch, I mean, I did watch it over again last night. I watched it back to back. But I, I do think that um, it, it has more to do with the episode as a whole. It's not just about how it ends and the big shock and reveal and the stabbing behind Shiv's back by Tom and the fact that we have to wait like two and a half years to find out what's going to happen. It's, it's, it's the entire episode, like Connor freaking out, reminding, not just reminding his siblings, but reminding us, the viewers that he is the oldest. Cause we always forget he's part of the equation, but he really isn't. That's the weird thing about Connor. Like, like you said, Randy, there's no way this guy has any effect into what's going to happen with the actual family company. He's never going to become president. He's like this very weird, odd, like character. Like it's weird. He, he, he comes across as, um, like a hippie, like a rich hippie, you know, like the way he walks into like the birthday party wearing that big long coat for no reason. Like he's just an odd character. But um, but the birthday episode, I think the reason why that one really stands out is because of Kendall Roy. Like he's a character I love to hate the most. Like I got to I got to say he's my least favorite character because he frustrates me. But I think that's why he's the best character. Like I think Jeremy Strong's performance is incredible. I think he's the best actor in the series. Like maybe not like maybe like some of these actors have done better things in different movies and different shows, but in the world of succession, like it's all about Kendall Roy. And that's why I said last week when I was talking to Simon, I'm like, there's no way like they're going to kill Kendall Roy because you're not going to take away your star player from succession. You're just not, it it doesn't make any sense. Randy favorite season, favorite show uh, episode. Um, season three, I think season three is probably the best. Uh, I do. There are a couple season one episodes. I really like, I like the Thanksgiving episode. I think it's like the fourth or fifth episode. And that was kind of the first episode. I really, really loved of, of the series. Um, the Prague episode, Tom's bachelor party is another favorite episode. Um, it's funny. I think this season is so good that like season two is fine, but I think every episode of this season is better than any episode in season two, except maybe I like agree the with last that, yeah. two maybe. And I think maybe it's just the effect of like the, the, what they do with the world and how they reshape things in those two episodes. Um, so I guess my favorite episode of this season um Man, the uh, episode five, I think, is up there. The retired janitors of Idaho when uh, Logan goes piss mad, I think, is yeah, really that's, phenomenal. Yeah, that's a great one. And I think um, uh, last week's episode also, Shanta Shire, was pretty phenomenal. But I, like I said, you can't, you really can't go wrong with any episode this season. It's about as consistent as you could ask a prestige television show to be. How many seasons would you want the show to be before they end the show? Two more, baby. Five is the magic number. It's also yeah, it's it's, the, it's 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 the magic every. I've gone on a rant about this before. Like every show that goes past five seasons usually lives to regret it. 
Um, most shows that, in fact, many shows that make it to five live to regret it. But I think, I mean, they've, they've nailed three, like on the current trajectory, I feel like five feels correct. Okay. And who would you recommend the show to? Like, I know we just spent an hour and 50 minutes talking about the show and we made a lot of comparisons, but if you could just sort of like, uh, write me sort of like an ideal person, like if I was a marketing if I, if I was in charge of marketing, who am I targeting here? Uh, well, first of all, if you work in media, you already watch this show. So they've already got that market covered. Um, it's funny you say that because I do work in media and I work at the biggest media company in all of Canada. No one at my company watches a show. Well, soon I would say that over the I think sort of like Breaking Bad, I think a lot of people in between when the, the next season airs and this season finishing up, I think this is going to be when people really start to pick it up. I think a lot, um, yeah, will, a lot of people have started watching this show in the past month. Yeah, and I think that's only going to increase because it's going to get so much fucking awards attention, uh, as it should, uh, especially for the actors. Uh, but who would I re- I'd recommend it to anyone who, um, um, who in I mean who has is, who has enjoyed the HBO prestige series of the past and sort of want, uh, series of the past and wants to see sort of their 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 next form of evolution. I mean, I I, I think of. Um, the last thing I, I really want to say about the show is that uh, the, what I love about the characterization of um, of Logan is that he reminds me so much of um, Gerald McRaney on Deadwood, mm-hmm. and how that character is sort of like you know the boy the earth talks to. He can he can he can smell the gold in the ground. Like he has this preternatural sense of how to extract resources and and gain concessions and and consolidate power. And um, and only he has it and he's frustrated with the world because not everyone can see the vision. Um, and I, 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 I love that that I think it's it's a fertile time to bring back that sort of um, arch villain or uh, pa- you know, patriarchal villain figure um, into uh, in, into this kind of prestige orbit. And I, I, I think it's um, it's a really productive idea and it's well dramatized. And I think anyone who gives it more than a couple of episodes uh, w- with an open mind, I think we'll find something to like uh, yeah, about that it. Deadwood comparison is really good. Succession is just Deadwood, except if Deadwood moved to a different country every week, you know, it, it's really about the power dynamics within like a really isolated structure. Yeah. And Oh God, that's, that's a really, that's a comparison I wish I had made before. So yeah. Well, high, high five there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think All right. honestly, if I were to, to recommend this show to anyone, I think it's, it's weird. I've been thinking a lot, you know, as we get to the end of the year and reflecting on the year of television that has been and kind of the last two years as 2020 and 2021 have kind of just melted into this like one weird ball of anxiety and, and sadness. Um, if you're tired of average ass television being presented to you as great television, Succession is a great television show, and I don't think we've. I don't. If we're being honest with ourselves, I don't think we've had a lot of those lately. And I think we've we've not come as as a culture. We've come to accept okay as really good, and average as good enough. And I think Succession aims to be something more than that, and that's kind of why, you know, it's going to sweep through so many award seasons next year. I got to say this. So over at the website, we're releasing our list of the best TV shows of 2021. Right. So normally we, we we normally our list consists of about 25 shows. I think once we stretch the list to 30 this year, 
our list is so far at 48 shows. Let me finish. 48 shows, right? But if I look at those 48 shows, so here we have the biggest list ever that we've ever done between all of the websites we've ever written for. Sound Insight, Boomba Stomp, you, know, you name it, right? Tilt Magazine, whatever. But if I take the list of 48 shows and I compare it to when we used to do lists of just like 10 or 15 or 20 shows, like those 49 of those, no, 47 of those 48 shows are not as good as any of the 20 shows in previous years. Like, especially when you think back to like 2010, like stuff like Justified, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, when it was that, you know, when it was really, really good, so on and so forth. So I, I agree, like there's a lot of good TV but this is at another level. This, this is a television is... and good TV now has gone from being a B plus to like a, a B. It's, it's kind yeah, of at best. I mean, I would even thing. say C, to be honest. Like, I mean, I watched the Disney stuff like Hawkeye and WandaVision, but I wouldn't even grade it a B if I had to grade it. Well, even like thinking I... of something else like Evil, a show Simon mentioned before, I would consider that to be like a B plus show and yeah. something that entertained me more than 90% of television did this year. But I wouldn't put it in the same league as Succession. Yeah, because no, I, I feel like the, the the difference between Succession and most shows, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think you have a showrunner with a vision, and he knows how he's going to end the show. He has an end game plan, right? And so he just needs to like work on what happens in between the start and the end, right? Now that might For sound sure. simple, but a lot of a lot of shows these days, I don't think they know where they're going with the show. Like I think, okay, we need to make a bunch of Marvel shows, so we're going to do Everybody's Hawkeye. Afraid of being canceled is the problem. So they exactly. only, they're only thinking yeah. for ten episodes at a time. Exactly, and I feel like they're writing shows where like every episode has to be beginning, middle, and end, and then we move on to the next episode. It's sort of like little short films. As opposed to like, instead of like reading a book and every book has a chapter and it all builds to the very conclusion, the very end of the very last chapter, it's like reading a book and every single chapter is really a short story that doesn't really have anything to do with the next chapter. And I say, you know, I reviewed Cowboy Bebop, which I was like the most positive on that fucking show what a <laughs> compared to anybody on the internet, right? Because um, I, I saw a lot of promise if they can fix things. But the problem with that show, which Netflix is a problem didn't. for most shows, <laughs> I know. Um, it four days later. It's every episode felt like it was its own thing. And and Succession is all about you need to stick around to the very end. But it's the, the reward that you get, that feeling you get when you hit the end of season one and hit the end of season two and hit the end of season three. That's when you walk away knowing that you just watched greatness and you want to watch it again. And you want to recommend it, which is why we're recording this stupid podcast. Mm -hmm. So uh, we gotta get people, I think this is one of those shows that people are going to get FOMO about at some point. If we just keep yeah. talking oh, about for it, sure. keep yeah, it on the sure. edge of the cultural conversation, people are going to, you know, the, the people are going to watch two episodes of the, the, the dramatic fresh prints and be like, fuck, I need to watch something good. Succession is <laughs> going to be right there next year. It's going to be right there waiting. Absolutely. And Kendall, Kendall will open up the season four with a little Fresh Prince rap. If you think about it, Succession sort of is dramatic Fresh Prince, and Kendall sort of is the dramatic Fresh Prince. If you think it's about it, it's also the Matrix. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> anyway, we got to go. Um, I don't know what we're talking about next week yet, um, but we we we're we were floating around some options. Uh, Randy, where can people find you online? I'm on the internet. I'm I'm on the Twitter at RJ Dank. I, I'm writing at Process Media. I'm writing some stuff at Tilt Magazine this week, and I got a podcast going. Mid season replacements. It'll be 
probably hear me on here once in a while. I'm around. Excellent. And uh, Ricky, where can people find you in the podcast online? Sorted Cinema. You Google it, you'll find us. But Twitter, it's Sorted Cinema. You can go to sortedcinema.com. It will redirect you to the main sites. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. You can listen to the podcast everywhere. But yeah, we do have listeners on YouTube and Spotify, clearly. Spotify, I don't, I don't know about you guys. Spotify is, I think, the place to go. But iTunes, Amazon, we're on Amazon. So we're everywhere. Sure. Are we on TikTok? We're everywhere. We're not point? on. No, not Simon on asked me that question last week. We're not on TikTok. It's the only place I refuse to put the podcast. Okay, but sort of cinema.com. You know follow us, like us, talk to me on Twitter. You know, every time I tweet about Succession, I get like five thousand retweets and likes, and it's like overwhelming. But I love it, so thank you. Uh, and episode two of the Ackerman year with uh, where we're going to be talking about Jutubilel, some other stuff. It's going to be really good. It's coming soon. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, sorry, what? Because you just sort what? of subtly say that. What, what, what are you talking about? Oh, I was plugging my Promote own Promote your show, Simon. Promote it. Sell it. Fine. Be like a whore. Yeah, yeah, fine. Ah, uh, well, anyway, I, I have another I have another podcast. It's nothing like this podcast. It's called The Ackerman Year. Kate and I talk oh, about Chantal Ackerman. Malin Ackerman's TV shows? Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Malin Ackerman. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Hey, man, you laugh, but he has some big guests like on the show, and he's doing it well, with Kate, so. Uh, yeah, no, well, keep your eyes peeled is all I have to say. Anyway, all right. I'm going to go. We're all going to go. Uh, we leave you in peace. We'll talk to you next week. Where, what? where can you find the show? I, I honest to God don't know where I can find the show. The Acker, it's called the Ackerman year. Just Google it. It's everywhere. It's on Spotify. Uh, it's on, uh, it's on all the places that, uh, it's on site. It's not on YouTube yet, but it will be there at some point. The platforms of your choice. The, the Chantal Ackerman podcast, the Ackerman year. Google it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Belgian filmmaker extraordinaire. Seriously, you're going to, you're going to like it. Uh, watch your stuff. Go on the criterion channel. All right. We really are going to go now. Goodbye. I'm not a good person. Well, whatever, you're fine. I killed a kid. It's not a unique insight, but sometimes when you say the unsayable thing, you realize it wasn't that unsayable. Sounds like the story of a hero to me. I would have been straight out of there. Serious, I would have been out of that water like a tabby cat out of a bath. <laughs> Don't, man. Jokes often bring a new way of looking at things, and it seemed true and right that quite quickly that someone like Roman starts making jokes, and there's something terrible about that, but there's something liberating as well. I guess I'm just trying to say, like, who's the real victim here? I waited three quarters of an hour for a gin and tonic. Yeah. <laughs> Kendall sees that it's not something that's the end. Some things will continue, including a relationship and even love from his siblings. So we go see him and we tell him we just won't have it, right? Roman has the most difficult decision because his position through the season has changed and the way he feels valued by his dad has changed. You know, Kendall's already declared as an antagonist. Shiv finds that's how she feels when the prospect of losing the company arises. You think daddy's protecting you? Hmm? No, we let Matson take control. That is dad slamming the door. It means that he doesn't ever think that we will, can, or should take over. Time to rip off the band-aid. There's always been the feeling of what if we could all go in and fire the water pistol together, if we could all say the same thing at once, what would happen? Full coup. It's an exhilarating power and it's quite intoxicating. We can fight it out, it'll, it'll be fun. That will be fun. <laughs> if I look at the arc of this season from the chaos at the end of episode two. Fuck you, Plastic Jesus. <laughs> You're a fucking twat. Save the planet, Ken. 
You're a fucking prick. And there we are, episode nine, and the siblings, however damaged, found their way back together for the first time really since the teenage years, I think. Send them in. Come in, come in, come in. I came into the scene really anxious to find our way through these pivotal moments of uh, the, the first one for me, where Roman is having to face the dragon to face his father. Can you take him out, Romulus? And to stand up to his father, which of course he probably failed to do if we look back at season one, episode six. You better be smelling your fucking armpit, Romulus. There's a question about why, you know, when in the first season he wasn't able to raise his hand and why is he able to now? Roman, I thought we had this figured out. Yeah, it just might be better, you know, if we all here. Some people would see growth. I'm on the fence about human beings, and people certainly change what they do, but in my view, people's essential selves don't change. In a way, that's what makes drama and choices interesting. I've got you. Come on, let's discuss. Okay. So I, I would say that the circumstances around Roman have changed. This is an opportunity, son. He feels this weight of support that makes it possible for him to be a full sibling. You can trust me. You can't trust him. It's a superpower that Logan has to be able to lie to people's faces. And then if people have the power to make him come good on those promises, then he will. And if they don't, then they're in a new situation and they'll have to be a new accommodation fan. We can stop you. You're playing toy fucking soldiers. I have you beat. Do you want a deal with the devil? The implication is that Tom is the one who blew the whistle on the kids and enabled Logan to secure the deal which they could have stymied. Caroline, you're on. Tom's been on his way to making this kind of choice for a long time unconsciously. What the fuck, Tom? Since Shiv's uh, admission on their wedding night that she'd had an affair, since a few nights before that when she said that she doesn't love him. I think he does love her quite passionately, and she, after her own fashion, loves him. But there are a lot of caveats for both of them. If you're being generous to them, their relationship is very complicated. We're going to force him out. But where do I fit in, Shiv? Well, high up, Tom. I don't know. He's a realist and a romantic, one of the incredible kind of beautiful complications about Tom. So it was kind of inevitable at some point that he would put self before her. Other people who are in the family will always be a Roy, will always be in the newspapers. But Tom maybe has a certain cold calculation to make about what he needs to give if he's going to stay in that world. Hey. For a long time, I couldn't find the ending. And then we did a take where we gave Sarah's character time to process that moment. You should have trusted me. And when Tom walked over and said, you okay? Okay. Despite that absolutely extraordinary betrayal, she put a game face on and said, yep. Yeah. And because it was such a perfect kind of succession moment that she would still somehow find the strength to put that kind of Teflon coat on and be in denial of that pain it was so powerful to me that I knew we had the end of the season. 